0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Hello, listeners. How are you doing? First of all, a quick reminder for any listeners in the Paris area. Hello, Parisian Lepsters. Bonjour or bonsoir. Uh, this is just a reminder about the talk that I'm doing at the British Council at the Anvalide Centre in Paris on Thursday the 19th of May at 7pm. I'm doing a talk at the British Council. Did you get it? Thursday the 19th of May at 7pm. Th- at I'll be doing some storytelling in front of a live audience, and you can be there if you want. It'll be sort of a mix of stand-up, storytelling and podcasting all at the same time, as well as a social gathering afterwards with a few drinks, all in English, of course. You can drink wine in English or soft drinks if you prefer. So I'll be on the stage telling the story of how I ended up sick in a Japanese hospital bed. It's an old story that I told on the podcast years ago. I'm actually going to do it in front of a live audience. Um, Yes, I ended up sick in a Japanese hospital bed. I didn't know why I was there. I just knew I was really, really sick. I was scared out of my mind. For some reason, I thought I was going to die or something. I didn't know what was going on. Now, that sounds quite scary, but the idea is to make the story funny and entertaining. And it's a true personal story of travelling, living in another country, and how things can sometimes get completely lost in translation, leading to some rather dramatic experiences. And if you want to come and be part of the audience, you can. It's free. Everyone is invited. I'll be recording it for the podcast. But if you want to actually be there in the room and have a drink afterwards and socialise in English and so on, then you are welcome. You need to book a seat, though. And you can do that at britishcouncil.fr. That's britishcouncil.fr. And then click Événement. That's events in French. My event is called Talks in English Le Choc Culturel Humoriste, which translates as Talks in English Culture Shock Comedian. We, we couldn't really... We were struggling to think of a good title for this. We didn't want to call it Sick in Japan for some reason. We So... Anyway, it ended up being Le choc culturel Humoriste, which means culture shock, comedian. (laughs) So that's the title of it. Uh, So BritishCouncil.fr, events, and then find that event, and then you can sort of uh, book your seat there. Again, completely free. Uh, That's it, all right? So I hope to see you there. It's going to be fun. And um, if it goes well, I will publish it uh, for the podcast. If it doesn't go well, then I won't. And, um, you know, if you want to have a chance to see it going either really, really well or really, really badly, uh, which would be entertaining too, wouldn't it? Um, Then you can. I don't think it'll it'll go badly. I'm just hedging my bets here. Anyway, stop talking, Luke. This is supposed to be quick. Okay. All right. So that's it. 19th of May, 7pm, British Council in Anvalide. Come and uh, join us. Okay. Uh, All right. Nice one. Let's get started. Here's the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello,
1: we're talking about language. Sit down, let's have a chat. Hmm? A bit of a chat, sir. A bit of a chat, yes, Roger, just a bit of a chat. <laughs> what about, sir? About English as a global language. This is a conversation. Yes. I would like about you. Okay, let's talk. Let's have a quick conversation, huh? What do you think? That's what we're going to do. Okay, baby,
0: let's go. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a conversation about language. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Gabriel Clark. Uh, Gabriel is an English teacher from England. He has a podcast and a blog for learners of English. It's called ClarkandMiller.com. Gabriel has worked in lots of different places. He has a master's degree in, in teaching English and applied linguistics. Uh, last year Gabriel invited me onto his podcast that's called the Clark and Miller podcast and we talked about comedy humor joke telling the social side of humor different comedy shows cultural differences it was really good Uh, you can listen to it it's episode 28 of the uh, Clark and Miller podcast and then I recently saw Gabriel on Zdenek's podcast and I thought ah that reminds me I must invite Gabriel onto this podcast for a bit of a chat just a bit of a chat so, uh let's do that. So hi Gabriel, how are you today?
1: Pretty good, pretty good. How are you doing, Luke?
0: Very well, thank you. Very well, thanks. Um, fine. I was just thinking that uh this is maybe the hairiest uh interview I've ever done. Yeah, I I I I, I like the beard. Yes, yeah, so I've got a bit of a It's cool. I'm, I'm going for a sort of an Arctic explorer look.
1: Yeah, it's good. Apparent. I can't I can't grow a beard. I just look like um well a mess. Um, why? What, why can't
0: you grow a beard? What do you mean? <laughs> it's
1: just patchy, you know, some bits grow, some bits don't. I can't the bit in the middle here doesn't grow. So I can never I can never get a Hitler tash, which is great. Um yeah, but um, yeah, no, it's just just a mess. It's just some bits are and some bits aren't. Hmm. Just, yeah, horrible. Yeah. And
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that that happens with some people. Like when they grow a beard, it sort of ends up being a bit patchy it's odd that I yeah. don't know why
1: yeah it's just it looks terrible it looks really awful yeah you're pulling it off you've got it like everything you don't have the patchy thing yeah it's yes,
0: alright right, not it? I'm going it's just mm-hmm. sort of an Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of mm-hmm. thing actually mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. sort of episode uh, two uh, like uh, Attack of the Clones era <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi where,
1: where they started not being terrible again
0: no no they were still terrible I mean those first three they were, they were... those first three prequels well... were still pretty it's all a matter of opinion and, and stuff but <laughs> (laughs) This is
1: a sensitive topic for many. I'm okay with bits of two, even though some of it's awful, and most of three is okay for me.
0: For me, the bits of two that I think are okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about Star Mm, Wars, just in in case you you hadn't noticed. Um, For me, uh, the bits of two that I like are the bits with um, Django Fett the bounty mm-hmm. hunter uh, when uh, obi-wan goes to this mysterious place mm-hmm. and he uh, he sort of finds this this uh, strange bounty hunter called Django fett played that's by him. Temura morrison who is brilliant oh that's good i didn't yeah. i didn't know that yeah, yeah. cool uh, yeah. and uh, and then there's like a fight between him and Django fett and yeah yeah cool but
1: the location is so cool it's like this ocean planet stormy ocean planet with these sort of uh buildings coming out of the water yeah. yeah when i think of episode two like i have to think of two things one really really cool and one really really bad and that's the cool thing i think of that that setting that whole bit
0: and what's the really really bad bit oh
1: uh, it's the amphitheater not the amphitheater the roman Colosseum style fight where everyone's fighting each other it's a big mess cgi everywhere um no, it's horrible terrible isn't yeah.
0: there? Isn't episode two the one with Anakin Skywalker and Padme, and they're on an island together? And uh, he—they have that conversation, and the dialogue is just so terrible. He's like, "I hate sand." it's coarse and rough and <laughs> it gets everywhere. And she's like, what, what do you mean it gets everywhere? Well, I'll show you later if you want, Padme. It's mate. like democracy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's pretty awful. I can't remember that scene. I have block, block, blocked it from my memory or um, it's just like every scene that guy is in is like that because he's, he's, he's awful.
0: So he's wooden. Awful. Very it's wooden. So wooden. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Not like here. Here everything is soft and smooth. I think it
1: might be his direction. I'm not sure if it's the actor. I think it might just be the guys on set with like...
0: Yeah. yeah. To be fair, I think Hayden Christensen probably suffered quite a lot as a result of being uh, Anakin Skywalker. Mm, but yeah, I put mm, it down to George mm. Lucas and his direction. You know, he's, yeah. he, he just sort of... He wasn't a very good... He uh, wasn't really a very good uh, yeah. script writer.
1: If you look at the scripts in the original trilogy, episodes four, five, and six, they're not great either. Uh, they're good films despite the script. It's um, like,
0: what is it that Harrison Ford said when they were making Star Wars? He's like, George, you can... You can certainly write this stuff, but you can't say it or whatever.
1: I said to George, you can type this stuff, stuff <laughs> but you can't say it.
0: Um, yeah. Anyway, we took a weird yeah. tangent into Star Wars there, which is yes. not part of uh, what I wanted to do here. Um, okay. I did actually want to ask you, which I normally ask my guests, mm. uh, where are you? So we've done how are you? Where are okay. you?
1: uh i'm in plovdiv plovdiv is a a city it's one of the oldest uh constantly lived in cities in the world but it's not a famous place mm. um right in slapbang in the middle of bulgaria in south and the southeast corner of europe the opposite corner of europe from uh, the uk i guess
0: yeah okay mm. how's life over there
1: yeah it's pretty good it's quite quiet um Yeah, one of the main reasons we moved here is we were living in Istanbul before. And Istanbul is crazy chaotic and and, um, a very stressful place to live. Very invigorating too. The buzz is amazing. I do love that city. But it was getting a bit much for us. So we moved here. One of the reasons was because it was so quiet and empty. And it is. It's very quiet and empty. It's a very chilled out place.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm. Now, uh, one of the things that struck me about your conversation with Zdenek when I saw that Mm. on YouTube was the stuff Mm. about language and language teaching, the methodology, the approaches, the theory behind the ways in which we uh, teach English to people around the world. So I thought that we could perhaps – there's loads of things we could talk about But I thought we could start by talking about the ins and outs of English teaching. This might be the whole conversation. Uh, Yeah, I can
1: talk about it for hours.
0: Some of the methods that underpin it, Mm -hmm. uh, and also a bit of linguistics too. Maybe some stuff about grammar and how English works. So we'll start with teaching English, right? Uh, So you are a teacher of English to adults, right? Like me. Yeah, yeah. Um, How long have you been a teacher?
1: Yeah, so I, I got my certificate, my first, the first one in uh, 2004. Whoa. Okay. Right.
0: Yeah, that's a really long time 18, ago, isn't it? 18 years ago?
1: Yeah. yeah. That's like, that's kind of the 90s, really, isn't it?
0: Ish, the noughties. Yeah.
1: It's still got the 90s vibe going on. Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. Nokia 3310s yeah. around and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: that's right. No smartphones at that time. No smartphones, no. No
1: YouTube. I think no, YouTube yeah. didn't exist. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Like there was the internet was just personal web pages and corporate websites. It really. was HTML, it. wasn't it? Lots was of HTML everywhere. <laughs> I think JavaScript was like a new, exciting. Not JavaScript. Right. Sorry, Flash. Do you Flash. Do you remember Flash. Everything was Flash for a while. Flash
0: animations. Yeah, I remember yeah. my brother was really into building Flash websites at the time. I
1: tried it. They, they, I couldn't manage. it. I wasn't good enough.
0: Yeah, the Flash is gone now. Flash is dead. Yeah, yeah. Poor Flash.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was all right. I mean, it, it it's limited, but it looked cool. Yeah, for a bit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, okay, so about eighteen years of professional teaching, um, yeah. but you've got the um, uh, the masters in uh, teaching English as a second language and applied linguistics.
1: That's it. Yeah, teaching English as a second or other language you forgot the other sorry yeah. vital apparently yeah. Um, yeah yeah it's basically the same thing um, uh, yeah uh, teaching English the second language and applied linguistics so it's a sort of mix it's a combination of the two
0: okay okay then mm-hmm. um, well I, I would ask you actually what um, like the origin story this is Gabriel Clark origins <laughs> I mean origin. really the question is uh, what was it that made you become a teacher an English teacher
1: yeah okay so you know like i i basically didn't really know what i was doing with my life this is quite a common teacher's origin
0: story. <laughs> sounds familiar i was about to say hmm, strangely familiar yeah it's like, yes. like all superhero origin stories basically it's kind of the yeah, same the is, same kind yeah. of template
1: and what are english teachers but superheroes I'm, yeah basically I think this is a reasonable analogy yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> So like every superhero teacher, I was, yeah, I didn't really know I was doing a, I was sort of just in my hometown of Brighton. Um, Like you hit your twenties and you, you, all that energy and excitement of being like 18 and 19 and 20, becoming an adult, being allowed to do things. And no one really, and people respecting you. And, you know, it's such an incredibly exciting time. And you're just like riding on that wave for a while, but then it starts to kind of you just get used to it. And you start slotting into the sort of, existentialism of adult life yeah. and then you're just like well what am I doing with my life and I just realized I really hadn't really I wasn't doing anything I was just sort of living on a normal I had, had a job as a sort of caretaker at a church and community center um mm-hmm. going home hanging out with friends at weekend that was it and um I wanted to do something more because I knew I was like smart guy <laughs> so, did you
0: did you went to, you went to university you did a degree i did
1: but i dropped out i dropped ah. out of uni
0: yeah what was your degree
1: uh it was in english and multimedia it was Ooh. a very strange combination multimedia is not really a thing anymore but it's like flash and stuff like that right um, html website design all that sort of okay. stuff yeah the more and, arty side of all but that you
0: dropped out which university was it
1: um Chelsea, uh, the university of gloucestershire Okay. Which was uh, in Cheltenham.
0: In the Cotswolds.
1: In the Cotswolds, yeah, Middle England.
0: Can I ask Very why you dropped? Yeah, why did you drop out? Oh, I
1: was just in my, I just, it was wasn't the right time. I was in my early 20s. Mm. I didn't want to really be doing that I, i'm you not would. sure it's the best time for people to be at university <laughs> yeah that time when everyone goes to university i scraped
0: yeah. i scraped through and pulled you know kind of got mm. something in the end but yeah yeah i could imagine myself where, where did you go thing. i was in liverpool uh liverpool john moore's yeah well so it's john moore's so okay. not not liverpool university itself but liverpool john moore's which is good okay. i was in the the uh heard of it. communicate creative and communicative arts, I think it was called, the department. It was actually a really good department. That's really cool. And I did uh, media and cultural studies. But yeah, when I'd finished, I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. It was a kind of a crisis. I had no idea what to Mm. do with my life and I was lost.
1: I think it's common. I think a lot of people get that. I think when you finish school, you shouldn't be allowed. No one should go to uni until like about two years of work life. And then you're way better informed. You, You have a much better, like, ability to be able to judge whether you should be going to university or not and if you are the sort of person who should be going to university you're going to be more motivated to go to university
0: yeah Yeah, that's true
1: well it doesn't work like that unfortunately (laughs) so 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 you dropped out mm, of university
0: you were a bit sort of um a bit at a loose end sort of thing and then and so and so why english teaching
1: yeah it was, it's such a cliche I mean it's, it's a bit like a comic book actually one day I was just reading the newspaper and I saw an advert for the CELTA you know the Cambridge yeah. examination the Cambridge certificate that is the the springboard the starting point for for most teachers um as soon as I saw it it was like oh my god yeah this is what I should be doing this makes so much sense I'm I'm smart I, I'm sociable um I'm into language like yeah this is great my dad used to work for the British Council um, not as a teacher more in a sort of um, diplomatic role but um, yeah. but yeah I mean I've got the, I've, I've grown up with around English teachers um, because they were always coming round to the house and stuff like that yes, so
0: yes.
1: yeah it was, it was it, as soon as I saw the advert it just it was like yes this is it it clicked it, it was like a calling
0: yeah Okay.
1: <laughs> Priests and superheroes and English teachers—they they get callings, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah.
0: And then and then after a few years, you then decided to do the masters, but um, mm-hmm. no Quite Delta. You haven't you haven't done the Delta. I
1: didn't do the Delta. No, I was considering it a few times, but I watched I watched Friends do the Delta and do module two, and I've lost friends to the Delta because <laughs> <laughs> they've gone completely mad. Um, yeah. They came back. Everyone came back, but yeah, during module two, people just lose their. Completely lose their minds. Um, so for for those did, people listening,
0: yes, I've done it. Yeah. No, so, okay. so those people listening or, or watching this, uh, the Delta is the diploma in English language teaching to adults. It's the second qualification. It's a sort of a higher diploma. Um, it's the more advanced teaching qualification that people like um, like Gabriel and I. Um, uh, what we do when after you've been teaching for a while and you think well this is probably going to be my career now you do the delta but it's a baptism of fire is that the right phrase
1: that's a good phrase it's yeah. just baptism horrible of fire.
0: it's tough it's yeah. seriously tough so when I did the delta which was back in 2006 actually um, when I when I did it it was kind of like yeah basically stop everything in your life I had to give up everything I disappeared for about what was it four or five months while I was doing it I just completely went off the map um mm-hmm. and then i emerged afterwards blinking into the light back back to my normal life again it was it was um epic
1: it's really difficult isn't it
0: it's inc- it's so tough it's really mm-hmm. really hard it's mm-hmm. like much harder than i'm sure other equivalent qualifications in other fields somehow the, the the delta is just like punishing
1: i think it's more difficult than the masters and it's In terms of, I think in terms of like credits and stuff like that, it's about half a master's. So it doesn't seem very fair that it's more difficult. And can I ask you, does did it? Do you feel that it made you a better teacher? Absolutely. Actually,
0: yes. I really did the job. I really, it really did the job. In fact, Mm -hmm. it sort of flicked a switch somewhere inside me, Mm -hmm. where particularly the exam actually was the thing, and I did quite well at the exam. I was better at the exam than the other parts. I don't know if they still have an exam. Do they? Oh, I have no idea. I haven't okay. looked into the Delta okay. for a long time because I know it but, has changed a bit. But yeah. uh, but the thing about the exam was one of the tasks was they would give you a, um, uh, some resources. They they'd give you a text, and it could be a newspaper article or whatever, just something. Even if it was, they actually. It, I remember in my exam, I had a mobile phone uh, contract advertisement. An advertisement. Mm-hmm. It was like a two-page spread of an advertisement for. A mobile phone. And the the exam, basically, what you had to do was you had to adapt the material and turn it into a lesson. So you had to outline the group that you were teaching and their Mm. needs and their Mm. their profiles and everything. And then you had to explain exactly how you would adapt this resource into a lesson with them and then write the lesson plan. So that was basically about converting something usually something you find in the newspaper and turn it into an English lesson.
1: And, and in your case, it was a mobile phone ad.
0: I had a mobile advert. phone advert, <laughs> yeah. That's right, with a the step-by-step, step, there was like a flow diagram of like mm. how to do this, that and the other and different options and some sales language and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that just really got me. And then the summer after that, it was probably a bit sad, but I was, in, I was fully in English teaching brain mode that's not a technical term but it should be should be
1: it is now it is Um, now we've made two people
0: makes it a term (laughs) yeah it's official and so i was just and and i remember i was moving into a new flat and i spent Mm. about four weeks four or five weeks living in a little room with nothing in it and all i had was like the newspaper or just like uh, stuff i found in magazines and i was actually writing lesson plans in my free time That's what it did to me. It kind of, it broke me. And I was just (laughs) like. some
1: plans for lessons that would never happen.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just like creating, (laughs) I just kept creating material and material. Um, Oh my God. So yeah, I think it helped. I I really do. It was like. They know
1: know what they're doing. The guys who design those courses, they really know what they're doing. I think I may even go uh, as far as to say that the Delta probably makes you a better practical teacher than the Masters does. Yeah, I think so the master's the... is much more theoretical. It's a lot more well, it's, it's academic, I suppose, less practical.
0: What are some of the things you remember doing in the master's? Mm. What kind of sticks in your memory?
1: Oh, so much sticks in my memory, but it was, all, um, it was all sort of me facing rather than any student facing stuff, because it was all about discovering stuff about language and language teaching as well. So, yeah, to some extent, by extension, by extension, like, student-facing stuff. But what I remember most is just discovering things about language, about teaching, about language acquisition, um, and just find learning so much stuff. It's, sorry, that's all very, very vague and abstract. Examples. Okay. Um, I did a podcast on this like one first podcast in fact, this is what made me want to become a podcaster was doing things like dot 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 and uh Grice's Maxims. Uh, Grice's you've Maxims. Across, you've come across
0: this, right? Well, I actually came across it. You talked about this with with uh, Zdenek, but this is good. This oh, is good stuff. Yeah, he brought yeah, Gr- it up as well, yeah. didn't he? Grice's yeah. Maxims. What what are they?
1: Okay, so uh Back in the 70s, 70s was a really interesting time for linguistics and language teaching. Yes. Uh, lots of mad interesting stuff.
0: Really so all the crazy methods. methods, they all came out yeah. in the 70s, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I actually have a list of, mm-hmm. of I have a list, I think, which is in um, sort of chronological order of different teaching methods. So I was going to sort of throw some of these terms at you and we could talk about them. But but carry on and we'll okay, come to that yeah, in a minute. To,
1: let's do that in a bit. Yeah, that yeah. sounds fun. Um But yes, okay, so we've got Grice's maxim. So this was um, the linguistic philosopher, I suppose is the term, and he talks about the cooperative principle. So the cooperative principle is basically an abstract term for our agreement. We are talking right now, and we have basically agreed to make sense to each other. Mm -hmm. That's a sort of philosophical basis of language, right? Mm -hmm. And and he identifies... um, Oh my God, am I going to forget everything? It's five maxims, isn't it?
0: Hold on. Grice Did you, is spelled D-D-R-Y-C-E? G-R-Y-C-E. Oh, I think
1: it's I, but, you okay. know, I'm not even sure of that.
0: Hold on. Seven or five? Apparently, it's been in the Big Bang Theory. Has it? Uh, okay. Yeah, apparently. So, hold on. Cool. Uh, f- four. Oh, wait a minute. That's oh. not a good website. I may edit these, these bits <laughs> out. Conversational maxims. Okay. So the mm. maxim of quality, the maxim of quantity, mm-hmm. uh, the maxim of relevance, mm-hmm. and the maxim of manner. Um, by by the way, everybody, a maxim, right, um, would be sort of a principle. It's a um, principle. It's right?
1: not a rule. That's kind of important. The important thing. is not a rule.
0: Yeah, it's a sort of a guideline for the for for the for good behavior or the right kind of behavior.
1: Yes. I think in Grice's case it's more like an observation, I I would say, because he's quite sort of descriptive. He's not prescribing anything. He's not saying you should do this. He's yeah. saying this is what people do. But yeah, but yeah, more or less.
0: Essentially it's a, it it it's a explaining how people achieve effective communication with each other it's, it's right. breaking down how how conversations work which is yeah. which again reminds me of that uh, david crystal book right oh yes Let's he must talk. cover Let's i still talk. haven't read that yet it's good we Hold t- on, i can't hear you <laughs> I'm my headphones on. just getting a copy of the book if I so that's that's the one yeah i um i talked yes. to him about it we talked podcast. we
1: talked about this in our in the
0: Last time we met yes, as well. We did because yeah. we were talking about humor and that the sort of comes into, it, into comes it. So, up. anyway, that's that's the book, David Crystal Let's Talk, yes, How, how English saw. Conversation Works. Yeah. yeah. So, a similar kind of thing, like, you know, he's breaking down how conversations work. Uh, Grice's mm-hmm. maxims also are like four ways in which people achieve good conversations. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the first one is um, the maximum quality. Quality. Yeah.
1: Quality. So, basically, this is about lying or. Um, saying stuff you're not you don't or talking about something you don't really know what you're talking about mm-hmm. um yeah so uh, you can basically if you break uh, th- this quality you're you're lying yeah if i say my name is Brad Pitt um it, it's not true so there you go there i've broken the, the the maximum of quality
0: so yeah there has to be a certain level of like um what's the word for it uh yeah quality or um hmm, that's not the right word i'm looking for anyway a certain <laughs> sense of truth or the, uh, a value to what you're saying and yes. it's not just Values gobbledygook or false yeah.
1: The gobbledygook falls under another maxim, but yes, it's not false. Or like, uh, for example, David Crystal is, is drinking tea right now. You know, he might be, but I don't know that. So my yeah. assertion is, I like this word value. Yeah, it doesn't really have any value. I have no no way to know that.
0: Yeah, but there's an agreement yeah. that we are basically going to be telling each other the truth and that we're we're, we're we're working together, you know, in a sincere uh, sort of way.
1: Yeah. Yes. Okay. It gets fun when that agreement starts getting weird. But uh, the maxims very quickly, quality, yes, about lying. Quantity, not giving too much information, not giving too little information. Basically, yes. getting the balance right—that yes. is self-explanatory. Yes. Yeah. Uh, relevance, also self-explanatory. If you start talking about bicycles, if and then I just say, "Oh, like that bird's nice." Um, <laughs> I mean, flying bird. I don't speak like that about. <laughs> oh,
0: women. that bird's nice. Oh, awesome. Bird.
1: Oh, she's got a, she's got a nice, <laughs> nice head. Um, yeah, yeah. No, no, not a nineties lager allowed. Yeah. So. Um, being relevant to the conversation helps us communicate better. Yes, right?
0: yes, yes. Yeah.
1: And yeah, then okay. the last one was manner. It's a bit of a misleading term, I think, because gobbledygook. You know, just saying nonsense, just yeah, or just murmuring, not really making stuff very clear. Um, that's that's breaking um, the quality of manner.
0: So it's about trying to be clear so that people Being can clear. actually understand you. All right. That that seems kind of pretty straightforward, really. You've got to be clear. You've got to be mm. relevant to what the conversation is about. You've got to, you shouldn't talk too much or talk too little. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you should be saying things which are true, that are um, intended to help the conversation in a sincere kind of way. Those are pretty I mean, so far know, so good. So pretty far, obvious, it's pretty right? simple, obvious stuff. Yeah. But what what happens when these rules okay, get broken? Gets, well, or what rules? I find,
1: yes. Well, there's breaking and there's flaunting. Um, I Ooh. guess the flaunting is what makes it really interesting because we don't really talk like that all the time. We don't completely rigidly follow these maxims. Um, we like we're very playful. We mm-hmm. um, we make we add emphasis by by providing too much information sometimes by omitting information we read between the lines a lot of politeness is indirect so we, we we kind of flaunt these maxims all the time if um i know if you say something like uh did you take the rubbish out and get some coffee you can say well i, I took the rubbish out <laughs> <laughs> What are you saying? You're saying that you didn't buy coffee, right? Right. Without saying
0: it. Right, 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 right. Okay.
1: Yeah, or pragmatics.
0: Yeah, that's pragmatics. And that's that thing Mm -hmm. where you can say one thing, but you mean something else. Mm. uh, Oh, yeah, sarcasm. Where it's or or sarcasm or even just like sort of saying, uh, oh, oh a bit chilly in here, isn't it? Mm. And what you mean is, can you close the window? Or or right. or if I, oh, I really fancy a biscuit, oh, if only someone had a biscuit right now. And mm-hmm. what you really mean is, can I have one of your biscuits? Or, or even more remote, they're even more remote examples yeah, yeah. of that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that's where it seems to be irrelevant, or maybe yes. uh, something like that. But there is a. A sort of uh, a point to it
1: and we're flaunting maxims flaunting so flaunting it's a good word isn't it
0: it's like intentionally breaking a rule mm. on
1: purpose it f- feels teasing almost you're like teasing the
0: maxims flaunting you're no, yeah, in, intentionally breaking the rules in order to mm-hmm. kind of um uh yeah yeah. So but in a, a sort of
1: in a sort of you're displaying the fact, you're proud of the fact. This word flaunt for me feels that you're you're breaking the rules, but you're also going, Hey, I'm breaking the rules.
0: Ah, uh, okay. It's not flout. It's not flout. Oh,
1: maybe that's why I'm getting confused with flout, aren't I? Uh,
0: how do we spell flout? F L A, two very
1: qualified things. <laughs> F L O U T, F L O U T. Yeah, this yes. is the one.
0: It's flout. Mm-hmm. If you flout something, such as a law, an order, or an accepted way of behaving, you deliberately don't obey it or don't follow uh, it. So, in yeah, deliberately so it's flouting
1: the maxims. But,
0: but I yeah. like the fact that you've got flaunting, well, flaunting in there <laughs> as well because flaunt <laughs> is 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 close but it's like if you flaunt something it's basically showing off yeah okay, so I like for you <laughs> i love that because for you um if you're breaking the rules it's like not only are you flouting the rules like breaking yeah. them but you're also flaunting like hey everybody i'm
1: breaking the rules for me, that word had <laughs> both those meanings. Yeah, yeah you yeah.
0: combined them together, A flaunt, but that's good. Flout, flout, flout meaning uh, break the rules, and flaunt mm. meaning show off. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah. flouting and maybe flaunting uh, mm-hmm. those those uh, those rules or breaking them on purpose is is where it's interesting, right? <laughs> yes,
1: and by doing that, if your communication stays intact, you haven't broken the cooperative principle.
0: Right, right, that's okay. The,
1: that's the thing that makes us being a, able to communicate.
0: Yeah, that you're both working together for a shared yeah. uh, goal. So yeah. yeah, you can be sarcastic, you can make jokes and you can um, do other things, break the other rules as long as you maintain the cooperative, cooperative mm-hmm. principle. So these um, are these are things mm-hmm. you... Yeah, go on. Sorry. So w- final
1: point on this. Mm. Um, just a quick observation. The closer people are, you know, the socially closer people are. Like if you're talking to your brother or something... Um, you're probably well, flouting. Flaughty.
0: Flaughty. Flaughty. Um, flouting, flouting,
1: flouting, <laughs> flouting flute. You're probably flouting the maxims yeah. more regularly than you are yeah. when you're, I don't know, um, trying to buy a, a ticket in France for something.
0: Yeah. In fact, example. in fact, that with my brother, that's a good example because we flout. So many of those rules, uh, mm-hmm. to the point where when i 'm talking to my brother and there are other people there they 're all looking at each other going what what yeah. what you want about?" and they my parents say things like oh yeah' they 're on the same wavelength like they they just we 'll just go off on these stupid uh conversations where we are. Yeah, I suppose like quoting lines of, of Alan Partridge to each other and going like half off on the
1: line is enough, right? Yeah. Or one word from the from the quote.
0: Yeah, because we're so close we we understand what we're saying, we read between mm-hmm. the lines, as you say, but mm-hmm. other people might think that we are flouting the, the rules, but we're not.
1: Yes. I mean, you would be breaking the rules with other people, but flouting it with your brother if you're doing the same thing. Right. Yeah. 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 And um, just a final point on this. One one thing that this leads to, which I don't think Grice addresses, but it's cool, is um, the fact that, you know, language is partly about communicating, providing information, but also, you know, it's a sort of social, cohesive device. We use language just to become close, to reinforce relationships, to um, understand each other more and just to create closer bonds between people and when we're doing all this flouting <laughs> that's serving that purpose too i think
0: yes okay has this informed your teaching sort
1: of- well this is a good question i wanted to ask you this this stuff is all well and good isn't it but can this really help when this it comes sh- to teaching and learning a language
0: this shows the difference between doing a master's this master's in TESOL and mm-hmm. uh, and applied linguistics and the Delta because yeah. the Delta it's all about just applying it in the classroom. It's all about the classroom whereas yeah. yours was more about the theoretical stuff. So is there any application of this? I don't know really. The only things that I can think of are teaching speaking skills and conversation classes mm-hmm. and stuff. I think, I where think that you, stuff is valuable. Yeah, mm-hmm. you do yeah. sort of certain types of turn taking where you're, you're trying to train the, the students to respond to what the other person has said and sort of collaborative communication. And, you know, it makes me think of maybe parts of the... Is it, it's yeah, Cambridge exams where you have to do tasks mm-hmm. with other people yeah. and you've got to work together and the examiners are looking for your ability to basically follow all those maxims and yeah. work together uh, to, you know, achieve something. And it's, it's, there's, there's a certain skill involved in maintaining all of those those things yes
1: i think with some again everyone's different so some students may respond this is a meta strategy isn't it we're yeah. talking about meta strategies and some students they don't really respond well to that sort of thing some students love it um and and it really helps them and i think you know um if you're teaching people who come from a sort of background that is different from what's expected from an exam for example i, I example i have a lot of japanese students who are doing uh, the gbc test have you ever heard of this
0: no i've not and i lived in japan it's for a, a while strange, i didn't hear about the a gbc strange test one.
1: yeah it's an american test um and it is yeah they get marked down on like lack of eye contact and things like that it's incredibly oh. incredibly rigorous um yeah. and it's not culturally sensitive in my opinion i think it's it's you this is how you communicate like an american british people and japanese people we don't like eye contact so much
0: (laughs) it's hard for japanese people to communicate like americans when you think americans are hi my name's chad johnson you know Mm. great to meet you they stare deeply into. we
1: got a deal we got a deal
0: and slamming the table and like god damn it yeah. Or like uh, you, you
1: have a phone call and then you put the phone down and you just go yeah at the end of the phone call.
0: The Americans, or, 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 or just any American movie cliche like you know you know we got company or anyway yes yeah. Japanese people are generally a little bit less forthright. Yeah, so I, I have that. to
1: kind of help them speak like that, speak like Chad. Well, and good um, luck. Yeah. So I think maybe a, in a situation like that, maybe these, um, these sort of meta strategies could be useful um, because it's like, yeah. Okay. So this is, you have to identify a lot of these, the problems they're having in being able to pass the exam as cultural differences. And you have to sort of say like, okay, the quant, the, the maximum of quantity operates differently than it does in Japan. And you yes. just try and pick out how, how they're different. And it's quite nitty gritty. It's, quite laborious but it can work I in
0: think. a simple sense you end up in the classroom talking about things like turn taking
1: yeah. and
0: the importance yeah. of like you know i talk then you talk and you know and and that we talk about the same thing that you refer to what the other person has said mm. and this is kind of Be more direct yes so on yes that's right yeah. you take initiative and you don't leave long pauses long silences because that's a thing that for example in japan they tolerate silences in conversations a lot more than they do in france for example where i live Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. if you leave a french person uh in silence for a while they'll just like start vibrating and then shaking (laughs) and then they'll explode (laughs) you know like they can't not talk for a while um (laughs) whereas japanese people if you you know you make them talk they'll just sometimes i've seen japanese people just sort of like disappear or just like crumble and they just Mm. i've had some incredibly uh arduous Moments in lessons in Japan where it's like, okay, what do you think, Yuki? And Yuki just goes like this. Mm. You know, she just literally can't get the words out. She's too mm. shy, and and being mm. silent is like an a, an, an acceptable alternative. It's, a, it's like
1: a safe safe space, yeah. safe zone. But so it's then, okay.
0: Yeah. You can just be silent, mm. and that's all right. But uh, yeah. for us, it's like, no, no. This is like, this is like you're breaking some huge um, social maxim. By just staying mm-hmm. completely silent. Like well, no one's gonna really understand it. Everyone's gonna yeah. think it's a big problem. <gasps> Is yeah. Yuki okay? You know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy, isn't it, how how different we we can be in social and communicative ways around yeah. the world. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. so the uh, the those Grice's maxims were just sort of something that stuck with you that, that was you a, That's numbered.
1: a far out example. That's why I like talking about yeah. it. But it was also probably my favourite because it's just so fun to talk about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Okay. So, so what I did was in preparation mm-hmm. for this conversation, is I wrote down a load of different things that I remember from doing the Delta, and I'm talking about teaching methods and yeah. other stuff relating to linguistics and, and teaching. And I've oh. actually st- I've started with a big list of of teaching methods. Now, I think you probably, I guess you 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 read about all these things doing your masters, but. um We've got like the direct method, the grammar translation mm-hmm. method, the audio lingual method, the structural mm-hmm. approach, suggestopedia, mm-hmm. total physical oh, yeah. response, communicative, mm-hmm. la- communicative language teaching, cool. the silent way, task based mm-hmm. learning, the lexical mm-hmm. approach, and dogma mm-hmm. teaching. Mm-hmm. Right. So, should we start at the start? The, the direct method. Can you tell us about the direct method? Okay. What is it?
1: This is, this is the American military one, right?
0: Um, is it the American? There's another one that is, has been uh, nicknamed the next. Army Approach, but this might be. Yeah, this is like because language language teaching really yeah. kicked off with the military. Like they were the first ones mm. who were teaching people English organized, in an organised way, principled structure.
1: Yeah, I don't know much about the Direct Method. Uh, I think my my kind of history of the, this is the standard history. I did yeah. a, an interview with. Um, uh, Christian from Kangaroo English um, uh, way, 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 way back. And I wanted to sort of go through the standard history and he completely blew it apart. We started to talk about ancient Greece and stuff. Um, so, yeah. And it's just like, yeah, this is the um, John- Johnson and Johnson. Is that right? No,
0: <laughs> there's... Um, no, it doesn't matter. I'm getting too academic. So, so, so... Uh, yeah, Yeah. <laughs> Today, popular forms of the direct method are Callan and Berlitz, the schools. Um, But um, it's basically also known as the natural method. I don't know Mm -hmm. who who name wise. If it was Johnson and Johnson, if they're like, let's make a language (laughs) teaching method, and now let's do pharmaceuticals. Uh, I don't know, but um, yes, it's like a military. Some it's like a military drill. Uh it was a, a first used to help soldiers communicate in a second language very quickly. Yeah. Um uh, it's basically um oral oral English and drilling, lots of repetitive drilling. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I've taught mm. the
1: canon method for a little bit. Right in one well, of the books.
0: That's it. It's it's the Callan method, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is? Yeah, that stuff's
1: crazy. Crazy stuff. It's really fun as a teacher, but I really don't think it's very useful. Um, How does it work? Okay, so basically, I have a book. Student has a book. I read. Uh, it's all question answer question answer forever. As um, a world of just me asking questions and them having to repeat the question instantly. And then answer it. It's like really instantly quick without thinking.
0: And a yeah. lot of it, a lot of it is is like sort of saying. So I went to the bank, uh, and and they say I went to the bank, and then you say you or it, went is not a good one. I go to the bank, and then you say you, and they go you go to the bank, and then we we go to the bank. They they mm. go he he goes to the bank. You know they lots of like. Um, drills where they have to transform the sentence in little ways. Yep. Um and yep. I, you know say water, water. And it's like instant drilling and repetition. It's like you
1: you're bypassing their brain. You're just getting them to like Pavlo- a Pavlovian response to everything. Yeah like automatic response. My favorite, I remember it still it was from one of the higher levels. and um, it goes if it was true that the further and further north you went in Europe, then the colder and colder it got, then would it also be true by definition that the further and further south in Europe you got, then the warmer and warmer it got? Well, that was one of the questions. They would have to respond, yes. If it was true that the further and further north in Europe you got, then the colder and colder it got, then it would also be true by definition that, ah, I can't even do it myself. Oh my yeah. God. That was one of the questions. I memorised that because that's a gem.
0: But it must have taken them a half an hour just to remember that's the whole remember. lesson, isn't it? Just, yeah, that's just... to
1: remember
0: that. <laughs> oh man. What do you think of yeah. this then? Do you think it actually works?
1: No, it doesn't work. No. Really? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I mean everything's helpful, right? Like any yeah. sort of any sort of language uh like interaction is going to help you learn that language, whatever it is. Some things are going to be faster, some things are going to be slower. Something is going to work better for some people and something's going to work better for other people. Um, so, I mean, like, you can't just say it doesn't work, but <laughs> if you look at the broad spectrum of things that work well for most people and things that don't work well for most people, that's certainly on one side, in my opinion.
0: Why not, then, do you think? What's wrong with it?
1: I guess also you'll ask, we, we need to ask the question, like, what does it mean to learn a language? I mean, when faced with those questions, those guys might actually be able to. Pass.
0: Are you breaking up like a bit me, like, there, Gabriel?
1: Um, Nymchinsky. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry, you
0: just broke up a little bit. Just those last two sentences you said. Still. Breaking. Yeah, you're
1: breaking up a little bit. Right. Let's hold yeah. on. Let's- okay. Uh, let's let's ride this wave. Let's, let's ride, ride this wave. Ride the- I'm, I'm still here. I'm good. Yeah, I'm yeah. still here too. Yeah.
0: Du, 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 You're du, du, du. breaking
1: up a little bit less. How am I?
0: You're fine. Mm-hmm-hmm. Maybe we can continue. Okay. So, can you remember okay. what you just said?
1: Oh, no. No, I probably can <laughs> if, I, if I put my mind to it. Um, no, honestly, actually, what was I talking about?
0: I've no idea. Yeah, so... <laughs> it's about yeah i mean basically why doesn't does it work? it work why doesn't it yeah. work that was the question right yes. yes
1: it probably i think it probably could be good for people who need to sort of be able to do set responses for a limited period of time that's that's it um yeah but i, I don't think, think it, it, it it you need to be able to be creative with the language to be able to learn it and. I'm pretty sure the, the second language acquisition is quite... There's a strong consen- cons- consensus on that.
0: that yeah, and personalise it so it actually sort of makes sense to you personally rather than just saying mm. these abstract sort of sentences that you don't really mean anything yes. to you.
1: Because if you do that, what's the difference between that and, like, Nim Chimpsky, you know, the another 70s thing, I think, when yeah. these um, guys try to get a chimp to learn English? Um, and they claimed okay. success because the chimp was <laughs> able to sort of respond to certain things. But you know, this is this is well, different from creative communicative language
0: use. This is a Pavlovian response, right? The, yeah. What the chimp could actually speak a few words of English,
1: so it wasn't speaking. I can't remember. Was it? Was it pointing at things? On I can't remember okay. whether it was responding to things in certain ways. Sign language. I can't. I think it was gestures actually,
0: yeah. Okay, but the the, the the chimp wasn't really sort of creatively using the language to communicate. It was just a simple, basic sort of um, Pavlovian response, as you as Yeah, you said. it's like
1: you get this with dogs, you know, like you call a dog's name, you tell it to sit. I mean, it, it can sit and a dog can sit when you say sit. Does, it, does that mean it understands language?
0: Oh, there's a deep philosophical yeah, yeah. question for you. Well, yes, surely, yes, because if it's heard a sound... And has decoded it as a as 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 meaning sit down, and then it does it. Then yeah, it's it cool. is, it's okay. understanding language. Yeah.
1: Then we can then we can say that yeah, sure, okay. Then the Callan method's fine. Yeah. So is um, <laughs> so is um, the audiolingual method as well, which is sort of related, based on the same sort of principles. These are behaviorist principles. Yeah. Am I digging too deep here? No,
0: I no, no, no. Let's go as deep as you want <laughs> yeah. because. Um, but but uh, I th- there must be something that can be taken from this mm-hmm. direct method, yeah. though, because yeah. I do think there's something, some value in that, although language learning is a personal thing and we use it to communicate ideas and stuff, there must be some value in getting a- around, uh, mm-hmm. what was it you said before, just like going direct to the sort of language centre of someone's brain and and avoiding their personality in the process and any sort of creativity (laughs) or any filters. It's just repeat what I'm saying and do it automatically and just maybe make a few sentence transformations in the process. I think there's some value to that because you end up... uh, Because sometimes those personal factors can block you... And can get in the way, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to being shy and it, it can affect fluency. But with this, it's kind of like, let's just tap straight back, straight in and just port the, just go direct inject into the, mm-hmm. into the brain language. I don't know. But I, okay. I know, as a okay. teacher, I yeah. think I might use it a bit because when I'm yeah. doing pronunciation work in particular, it's it's, it's That's hard. a different thing. though.
1: You're Is focusing it? just on pronunciation, aren't you? Like, you're mm. not, there's no meaning you're not learning meaning or teaching meaning
0: right i'm not teaching grammar or vocab mm-hmm. in this way i'm i'm mm-hmm. teaching pronunciation yeah but mm-hmm. i don't know maybe those things are somehow intrinsically saying, yeah. connected that, yeah yeah i don't know I'm, I'm unwilling to to reject it completely
1: yeah well that's probably good because i i can be i could be a bastard like that and just go ah oh, nonsense um but yeah I, I like what you're saying as well that like um Basically, it could be quite good to snap people out of it a bit. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, or just sort you. of like, yeah, get around their personalities and all the baggage that people are bringing to the classroom or to the language learning. Mm-hmm. You just bypass all of that and just get straight into the, just, just making sentences, producing them, just quickly having to understand, yeah. just like it's all short-term memory, all almost instinct, instinctive um, call and response stuff. I
1: suppose the hope of of a lot of these sort of behaviorist language theorist guys who were there like in the fifties and so on nineteen fifties um were would be maybe that like you you have this automatic like response call and response sort of reaction um but then later as the, as the students start using the languages in their own lives they they can take that as the basis to start like negotiating meaning and, and doing all these other things that are a bit more personalized yeah you so, need you
0: need a, you need a yeah. certain level of automation in mm-hmm. speaking english where you know where you just need to do things without thinking about it very much like mm. compare that to studying grammar and there's like other methods uh, like grammar translation Ooh, or structural yeah. approach which mm. is all about understanding the way that if you know the, the the concept being if you understand the grammar and the way that language is, is structured and the sort of rules that dictate that then that's the key that will allow you to just enter the garden of English you know and you can just use these rules and always apply them and um, um, it's very Chomskyan, yeah, line, and isn't that it? Yeah. that that can really screw with people's heads. Where it's mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, this is I'm talking about a past action, but the period when the action happened was finished, and so there's no connection to now. So our present perfect tense is not appropriate in that situation, <laughs> especially since we know exactly when it happened, and state it's short, verb, state it was short. It was a stative verb. <laughs> it was an action verb, and it was short. So. Uh, past is repeated so past oh repeated okay past continuous tense and yeah, if, no, if it was interrupted by another action which happened after evolve. the other one had already yeah. started yeah
1: and so there that, was that, an armadillo in there somewhere so
0: <laughs> all that stuff is incredibly uh complicated to process mm. when you're mm. essentially trying to yeah. talk in an in, intuitive in, instinctive way
1: and when when we started because I think when did you start teaching? Did 2001, around the
0: same, time? Around, mm-hmm. the same so we, time.
1: around the same time. Yeah. So our training probably, we probably had the same sort of era of teacher mm-hmm. training. And yeah. we this is a lot of what we were taught, wasn't it? Like you have to sort of teach structural... Um even though language teaching was mostly like communicative, the communicative language teaching, there was still a lot of the structural stuff around. Yeah. Everything was focused on tenses and grammars yes. and, yes. and stuff.
0: And also there was uh, certainly the idea, and I don't know, again, I'm sorry, listeners, that this is not quite academic enough. I don't know if this is... Not academic enough, or if it's too academic, I'm not <laughs> sure which one it is. Uh, probably it a bit of both somehow. It, yeah, yeah. But I don't remember who it was who did the research and came up with the conclusion. But the idea that there is in, I guess, it's part of the structural approach, which hmm. is that certain structures should be uh, learned in a, in an order. That there is an order in which those structures are learned, I remember and it's this. sort of yeah. it's sort of like the the language needs to be downloaded in the right order, and you need to learn. Uh, present simple before you learn past simple and you need to learn like how to conjugate the verb be before mm-hmm. you conjugate other verbs and you know you need to learn uh, regular verbs uh, and how they work before you start looking at irregular verbs that there is an order mm-hmm. to learning mm-hmm. and this is this is what you see in all of the course books like you know headway cutting edge an English file and, and yes. so on but they they their their uh, language level is basically Defined by the grammar that you're teaching, or grammar that's in there, and it's 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 certainly a system of like an order. This grammar comes before this grammar, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. one thing leads to another, and mm-hmm. and so on.
1: It took me a long time to get out of that mindset yeah. as a teacher. Yeah.
0: What's the alternative though? Because I, you know, as a teacher, I sometimes still think in those terms mm-hmm. of teaching yeah. grammar it's points. Still helpful
1: as well. I mean, yeah. it's not let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, nice phrase. Yeah, yeah. That was a good phrase. Throwing throw an idiom if you can.
0: So um, throw the baby out with the bathwater, listeners. <laughs> so you've just given yeah. your baby a there bath. You've just washed your baby in a bath, right? And mm-hmm. now you need to get rid of the water. So what do you do? You've got to throw the water out of the window, of course, but make sure Be that you don't careful. throw the baby out with the water. Do you think anyone's ever done that? I think that's like a thing that, that that's...
1: Like I because someone might have done that once in the history of babies and but, baths, but not enough
0: for it to have become a, an everyday <laughs> phrase in English.
1: It might have been a very spectacular event. I mean, it might have. Everyone might have seen.
0: Maybe it's like one high-profile event that happened <laughs> yeah. very, very an
1: influencer m- did it once. Yeah, <laughs> in the 17th uh, century.
0: Anyway, but yes, we shouldn't throw mm. the baby out with the bathwater. Which yeah. baby again? And which bathwater? Uh, oh, yeah, of the, the language the str-
1: learning in the. And the bathwater of structures and grammar. The,
0: the structural approach. If, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah. There's still something yeah. to be gained from it, I suppose.
1: I suppose. I think the best thing to do is, is just, is, is, it's kind of a bit depressingly common sense, but it's like, just look at your student, talk to your student, figure out how they're responding and what's working best for them. and And just one thing doesn't work, try another way. Mm, uh mm. some some people really do respond well to that sort of grammar structuralist approach and cool good on them and great because that that's an easy thing to teach which is probably yeah. one of the reasons it stuck around for so long
0: right right yeah. right right um <clears throat> the audio lingual method which is basically the same as the um the direct method except yeah. that i think the audio lingual method focuses on vocab rather than grammar structures and
1: there's, there's more gear mm. there's more kit when i was yeah. Language labs, language, language labs. Language labs, cassettes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, do you remember learning French with a language lab oh, at I, school?
1: I, I, I do indeed. Yeah. How was it? Very confusing. <laughs> like, <laughs> those, those weird rooms. They're like these 70s style rooms. They obviously spent loads of money on these, these desks that weren't desks, but they were just like rows of tape machines, but with more buttons than tape machines have. And yeah. then the teachers that sat at the front, they had this massive operational dashboard it's like star like a, trek it was crazy yeah you are like learning french in the star trek ship yeah yeah it was very strange
0: and, and you had you had the headphones on and the teacher would play a recording to you or at least would control all of your cassettes because yes, they were the yes. cassettes that would start yeah. turning in front of you and you would basically listen and repeat to the what was on to yeah. what was on the recording and then you could go back and listen to yourself but we discovered like my friends and i discovered that you could basically overdub um, uh, with the tape players <laughs> so we were just constantly overdubbing and i think it was possible to like even like get into your partner's uh, recording and overdub Fantastic. on them and stuff so, so we, you, you hacked it yeah we didn't you, learn any french to the language I, I i learned more about like record sound recording techniques than i did about mm-hmm. learning french from that so
1: possibly a more useful skill not possibly if she moved to France, not at the
0: moment she did do. not at the moment now i now i need to learn french uh, we've got others we've got like um so i guess yes. when we start to get into the 60s and 70s that we yeah. start to get the more weird and wonderful methods like like yeah. for example we've got suggestopedia do you know about that
1: oh my god yeah i actually trained uh, under suggestopedia before i did my masters it was like the first thing i did that got me out of this sort of regimented like how I was trained in the first place sort of thinking, it started making me think about language teaching in a more like broad way. Mm. So yeah, it's zany. It's crazy. Um, suggest really? It's really zany. Yeah. Is there a good idiom for this? It's. Uh,
0: I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, uh, that's kooky. <laughs> just, words. kooky. just words, just words, not like idioms. Yeah. It's, words. it's crazy, zany, wacky, goofy. It's a bit uh, off the wall. Off oh, the wall. There, That's there an you idiot. Go. It's a bit off yeah. the wall. Bit off the wall.
1: Um, it's nuts. Um, it's bonkers. Yeah. Bonkers. <laughs> yeah, loony. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, after all this stuff we were talking about before, there was all this humanistic stuff. So, not humanistic, uh, behaviorist stuff, right? Like the direct method, and this is this idea that you can just tell someone to do something and they do it, and they've learned a language um, just by repeating, you know, right. by exhibiting the behavior. of 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 language
0: right so it's about the behavior it's about doing it rather than what's going on in the sort of processing and how you are sort of like you know uh what's the word for internalizing the language and working out the rules in your head it's more about let's just make them replicate the behavior and if and Mm -hmm. the way that a person behaves is the way that they are uh behavioral psychology we are how we behave
1: yes empty vessels to be filled and the result is in the exhibition of behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was,
0: yeah, hmm. that that was, uh, as you said, that was the, like the, the, the direct method and no, yeah, direct that was method, the direct, yeah, method, which, was, yeah. which, which was behavioral, right. That's mm. what you said, I think. Exactly. Yeah. yeah okay. Behavioral. Yes. Uh, canon method
1: and stuff. So yeah, um, the sixties came along, lots of hippies and all that stuff. And um, as a result, the sort of language teaching world kind of, resisted this human this behaviorist uh stuff yeah. and you had this humanistic uh language learning so this is when we have suggestopedia the silent way total physical response i'm missing one i've forgotten one
0: um i can't remember which one uh um <laughs> that's all i've got suggestopedia total ones. physical response the mm. silent way maybe communicative language teaching although it's less less wacky and crazy
1: That evolved out of it yeah yeah
0: so um, yeah, Suggestopedia, and this is all a, yeah,
1: uh, community c- community language learning, which right. uh, drew drew on psychotherapy and stuff like that. Okay, so okay. Suggestopedia, yeah, Suggestopedia is probably the the zaniest, the most bonkers, the bonkersest uh <laughs> of the of these. Um, where to start? Well, it's it's all about res- like communicating with the um, conscious and the subconscious. At the same time, long-term memory and short-term memory at the same time. Um, it uses music uh, because uh, if you have, if you activate the student's alpha brain waves through music, you can get to them in a certain way. And if you activate their delta brain waves through music, then you can act like get into their long-term memory reserves and ooh. it's all very like ooh, hocus pocus magic 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 and mm. y- you read about it I-, I got really into it i got obsessed with it first as a sincere like follower of it i i got really sucked into it um yeah. and then much later after the masters that's a sort of investigator of what the hell is going on here yeah um and in both cases i could never get to the bottom of it the um the founder of this method was actually bulgarian um, georgi lozanov um, under the communist regime in bulgaria and if you read his works it's it does it just i can't get i can't get through it it doesn't make any sense to me it feels very much like pseudoscience
0: Bit that's woo-woo. all i'm saying about woo-woo, it it just as they say. it
1: feels woo woo i would love to be corrected on that because but i've i've just looked and looked and i can't find anything solid it, i'm just it's look, just stuff that sounds
0: good looking at a basic uh, summary of it here. Suggestopedia, this method relies heavily on students' belief about the method's effectiveness. So already... Mm -hmm. We're in the area of belief and, yeah, and yeah. it's almost like a being in a cult or the mm-hmm. placebo effect or something. <laughs> right. uh, yes. This theory is intended to offer learners various choices, which in turn helps them become more responsible for their learning. It relies a lot on the atmosphere and the physical surroundings of the class. Like yeah. you said, using music to create the right mm-hmm. sort of atmosphere. It's essential mm-hmm. that all learners feel equally comfortable and confident mm-hmm. when teachers are training to use Suggestopedia, there's a lot of art and music involved. Each mm. sub- Suggestopedia lesson is divided into three different phases, deciphering, concert session, and elaboration. Mm. Oh, I
1: love I doing concert sessions.
0: Um, <laughs> what are those three stages?
1: I don't even know. Um... What 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 did it what, say exactly?
0: Deciphering concert session and elaboration. Well, just tell us about mm. concert session if you if you. It's been a while wow.
1: since I read up on this. The concert sessions are very memorable. Uh, there's one at the beginning, one at the end of each each session, uh, each day long session, ideally. Um, and yeah, the, the beginning they they all have a script, right? There's a sort of script that's the. Text of the day, and everything's going to be based around this script. Yeah. The script contains characters, and each of the students are that character. So students take on a new persona, have a new name, um, and a new identity. Um, the first concert reading, if I'm remembering this right, I think it's an alpha brainwave uh, one, and you play classical music, things like Mozart, classic classical music. You know, the 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 peak of classical music.
0: Bach, um, a Mozart,
1: yeah. Bach, not so much. That's uh, that's more of a delta. It's oh, a brainwave really? guy apparently mm. yes yes because it's it's, it's quite uh, fiddly and it, it you get lost you get I lost see. in the music and, and your see. brain sort of reaches a more sort of passive state but with Mozart it's more engaging you're following it you're relating to it and it's um your brain's more active and a lot more sort of ready to go mm. um so you read this script kind of half singing Along to the Mozart. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. Okay, cool. You didn't know this. Yeah, it's, it's this is loony. It's bizarre. Well, you're it's singing really along
0: bizarre. to the classical music while you're reading the lines. Yeah,
1: hi there. Can you show me the way to Thirso? Um, like that. Yeah. <laughs> you're sort of half reading, half singing, and you're kind of and the students are reading along, highlighting anything they they think is like cool like phrases, idioms, whatever which is not a bad yeah, activity in and of itself yeah. so yeah, that's the, that's the first concert uh, session and the, at the end of the, the day they will like lie back on these lovely, comfortable couches and you put on the bar, organ music you're listening you're just getting absorbed and getting lost and you excuse me can you tell me the way
0: Thirst- oh. <laughs> <What is that? laughs> it's so weird it's, it's so like really hypnotic weird. almost you yeah, can tell it yeah. came out in the 60s
1: Oh, was very uh 60s 70s i think but 60s it's, it's or 70s a product sorry. of the 60s for sure isn't it yeah definitely. yeah yeah but okay. I, having said that i don't want to diss it too much because i did a, a few um talks about this at some I had small had TEFL conferences. And I really enjoyed it doing the research because I wanted to look at a couple of these. I looked at the Silent Way and suggestopedia and how um like first half of the talk was kind of rubbishing it all, like because it's quite fun and quite easy like yeah. we're kind of doing right yeah, now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which is we are we are taking the piss um, out of it. Taking the piss out of it. Yeah. Um but um the the second half I kind of Reflected on it all and took like SLA, re- well, took the principles of these methods and had a look at the, any SLA research that kind of um, showed SLA is second language acquisition research. So, you know, this, the research, the science behind how we learn a language and see if there's anything in it. Um, so even though I'm not so certain that the the principles were founded on strong scientific foundations it seems that there's a lot in it like uh, mm. nice surroundings lower stress um classical music even i think has been shown to be to, to help learning um lots of things that that um are kind of are kind of in a way common sense now um these were kind of quite groundbreaking at the time yes and the, i think the, cred, credit should go to these guys who developed these like these methods even if they weren't they're on slippy, slippery academic foundations, but they, I think they stumbled onto some really good stuff.
0: I have actually used music in, in classes mm-hmm. before where mm-hmm. I've just sort of put ambient music on in the background at certain times. Yeah? Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. But, uh, and certainly at least I think I spend a lot of my energy on just creating the right atmosphere in the classroom mm-hmm. as a teacher. It's not just about, a, you know, the language teaching. It's also about just sort of like creating the right kind of atmosphere and making it funny mm. and making <laughs> making everyone feel that they can take part. So, yeah, maybe there's a point to it. We we look mm. back on these methods now and sort of laugh at them a little bit. Mm. But there was a time, and it's easy to forget this, there was a time when we had no idea at all about learning and how to teach languages to people. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was just translating and stuff like that. But the, uh, the, the organised uh, group lessons... We've been doing this for a while now, and so yeah, stuff like creating the right atmosphere, reducing stress—that wouldn't have been an assumption. Uh, but you know, a certain number of years ago, it took someone to work it out. You know, mm-hmm. uh, academically, there's probably loads of people who were doing all these methods, but they just weren't academics, and so it never got never got yeah. written about. Uh, it's yeah. probably been people have been using different methods and things for for centuries. Um, and from
1: the from the other side, you know, you get a lot of um, there's that classical classic thing that happens when a a, a research paper comes out it's like quite a seminal meta research paper or whatever and it's like it it has all these findings that are finally crystal clear for the first time and then you know teachers read this paper and go well yeah duh we've been doing this all along and you know teacher's instinct sometimes is it goes down the wrong path but a lot of the time you know your your instinct as a teacher an experienced teacher will will do the right thing most of the time yes. because you're, it's your job and you're just good at it. <laughs> you don't need the academia to tell you you're doing the right yeah, thing Yeah, the time.
0: You work things out as you go and just kind mm. of like... But it, it also mm. is a, an encouragement to teachers who uh, are wondering whether they should experiment and stuff. You should mm-hmm. absolutely definitely experiment yes. as a teacher, especially in the yes. first like years of your career. Try everything yes. and anything, whatever everything. works. Yeah. And then you start to learn... Oh, this thing works, this thing works, this thing works. I'll have a bit of that and a bit of that and a bit of that and a bit Mm -hmm. of that. And then you've got... Yeah, yeah, and, and you can make it a bit bonkers. Like, uh, yeah, I believe yeah. in in having a bit of craziness in, in lessons and, you know, like anything could be possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, yeah, you can go off the beaten track and, and try different things and you should. And because mm. a, a lot of individual teachers, they're not going to read all of the research and understand it all and understand how it works and apply it to their teaching just by reading it. You've got to just do it by doing it. You just try it out see what happens, and then when you're doing the research and reading about the methods, you can be like, oh, okay, that's Mm -hmm. that. That's Mm -hmm. what that is, and that's that. Um, Let's name a couple of other uh, methods here. Uh, What about... uh, So these... I'm sure this is 70s stuff. Uh, total physical response, a which 70s, is yeah. maybe my favorite uh, name for a teaching method. Total <laughs> physical response. It's In like what name? is a to- what is a total physical response? It's like someone, <laughs> what, it's someone having an orgasm, or someone like exploding, or or what is that? A total, a total band, <laughs> a metal f- band. It's a metal yeah. band. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect name for a metal band. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, total physical response. <laughs> total physical we are total response. physical response. <laughs> yeah. That would be brilliant. So what's that Supporting Iron Maiden. Uh,
1: Well, I mean, it really kind of is what it says on the tin. That's a good metaphor.
0: Uh, It does what it says on the tin. It does what it says on the tin.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, I I can never see how this would be useful beyond very low levels of English or learning any language, but um, it's basically stand up and then you stand up and then you tell the students stand up and then the students stand up and you, you write write an A on the paper write an A on the paper and then everyone copies you and that's it yeah yeah I, I don't know too much about it I haven't properly researched it but as far as I understand it's, it's basically basing everything on this sort of imperative giving an imperative giving an instruction and demonstrating it and the students copy hmm
0: it's only yeah. good for imperatives. How would you teach anything else?
1: I don't know. I'm sure they handle this other stuff. I, I'm not the guy to ask on this because I, I, yeah, this is the one I've least looked into out of the humanistic method ones.
0: Right, right. Okay. It's kind of
1: cool though. It's kind of interesting, yeah. isn't it? Like,
0: and yeah. It does make me think that I've probably used this method just without realizing it. As mm-hmm. you know, where you, you as a teacher, you, what you have is in your head, you have like a bank of different activities and different lessons you can do and you think you're planning you're thinking what can I do with this group And "Hmm, I know I'll do my I'll do my prepositions activity which and if you actually analyzed it you'd realize it was a total physical response activity or it's going to be a a kinesthetic activity or something like that Mm -hmm. Um, so the idea of just giving orders and people responding to them physically actually doing the actions. And then I suppose it would be their turn to start ordering people around as well. I'd imagine so, yeah. You'd probably produce very bossy people, like this person (laughs) going in the bank to to get some money. Give me some money. Like, good for bank robbers. Yeah, bank robber English. That's a niche. No one's got that
1: market yet. Not yet. Start a website. Yeah, English for bank robbers.
0: English for bank robbers. There you go. There's a podcast there waiting to happen.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, TPR, total physical response, could be quite useful.
0: Yeah, could be. But just
1: thinking mm about, like, moments of of learning, like, my second language and sometimes my third one now, um, like, um, you know, there, there are moments when people have just told me to do something and it's been like okay, I do it. And I remember that forever. Like someone gives you an instruction, they expect you to understand it. I think that's a real key part that they trust that you understand them. And then you sort of rise to that and you somehow, you just understand what they're saying and you do it. And then you never forget that.
0: There must be something in it, Mm -hmm. in that fusing the sort of mental part of language learning and the physical part Because I often think this when I'm talking to my learners of English. I often think English is not like, where is English? What is it? You know, and I'm sure for a lot of my students, English is is written down in books. Where is English? That's such a cool question. (laughs) Where do the numbers go? But let's answer that question. Where is English? Where is it Mm -hmm. then? And is it written down in a book? Is it in dictionaries? Is it in grammar Mm -hmm. books? Is it in the air when we are speaking? Or is it in your in your body as well. It's in your, it's in, not just in your brain, but it's in your mouth. It's in your lungs. It's in your breathing. It's in your
1: culture. It's, have you, have you read any Dan Everett, Daniel Everett?
0: Nope. Um, I don't think so.
1: Okay. Yeah. He's in a big sort of like academic feud with Chomsky at the moment. It's great fun to watch. Um, Yeah. He, he is English even a thing, I guess, is the next question to ask. Like, is it a thing that you can locate to ask that question, where is English?
0: Well, like, yeah, because look, I've I've got some right <laughs> here. But there's some English there. <laughs> Show so me your English. There's I some found English. some. I located yeah, it. <laughs> it. It's on the back of this book.
1: Oh, we've got to the bottom of it then. Excellent. So that's where the English is. It's
0: in your brain. Yeah. It's everywhere though. Surely mm-hmm. it's it's uh, mm-hmm. in your brain. It's in your mouth. It's in your yeah. body. It's yeah. uh, in in places you wouldn't expect. It's in your nose. Yeah. You know, try to speak <laughs> English without your nose. You're going to spell. You're going to end up sounding like this. So well, there you, you more go. Or less managed it though yeah more or less but did, <laughs> does that not break one of the conversational maxims i'm not sure
1: the maxim of nose um, yeah i mean yeah it's it the nose helps that we can yeah. we can all agree on that
0: so anyway what was i trying <laughs> yeah. to say i don't remember quite what I, my point was there where is english why did i say total that total
1: physical response Yeah, total physical response merging so- brain action physical
0: yeah exactly so exactly merging the physical response with the mm-hmm. uh, sort of linguistic response the idea that english is not just like like maths it's not just like a, mm. a series of it's just not not just information that you have to internalize yes. and remember but it's stuff you have to do it's stuff you have to be able Certainly. to do it so there's, there's there is yeah. got there's got to be a physical element to it as well i expect
1: yes i think so and i think if anyone's interested in exploring that line Read Daniel Everett's uh work on this. Uh, okay. There you uh, go, what little, else go. A little plug for someone else.
0: Very good. Fine. That's <laughs> yes. fine. Uh what about uh the silent way or the silent method? Mm-hmm. Another one of these yeah. wacky ideas.
1: Yeah. I quite liked this. I, I went into because I that was the other one I did for my talk. Um suggested Peter in the silent way. And I was expecting to like really kind of be quite hostile to it in a very sort of common sense academic sort of way but the more I read about it the more I I, I quite I'm quite enamored by it um, it's very nice it's the teacher doesn't really speak almost at all um, demonstrating things through a phonetic chart um, demonstrating thing, we have these quiisonnaire rods um, You know, these sort of like different coloured, different size rods that you can use to visually represent language. Mm -hmm. And you're encouraging the students to uh, sort of speak and, and answer questions. You can write things up. That's fine. So lots of writing is fine.
0: But the teacher is basically silent. More or less. Maybe they use their voice just to present or model certain sounds or words. But uh, for the most part, the teacher is silent. Mm. I did this Mm. one as my experimental Mm. method. Ah, cool. In, in, uh, I can't remember which part of my delta it was, but I had an assessed lesson. Uh, then one of the one of the assignments when I oh, did it too
1: right?
0: It must be it's the teaching yeah. practice, the teaching part. one yeah. So mm-hmm. one of the assessments that you have to do or had to do when I was doing the Delta is that you had to pick an experimental method and then do a lesson based on Ooh. it. You have to write an assignment about the method uh, and then you present your lesson plan and the rest of it, and then you do the lesson. So I did the silent way with ear rods, and I taught passive forms in English. Uh, with oh, it, cool. it was a speaking and grammar lesson. So, if I can remember, now it was a long time ago. This we're talking. How long is that? How long is that? Two thousand and six. It's like sixteen wow. years ago. Is it fourteen years? Yeah, ago. that's anyway
1: something ridiculous like that. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, a teenager's lifespan away.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, even exactly. scarier,
1: isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that the other day. I was thinking, wow, if I'd had a kid at twenty-five, the kid, right. I could be like going to the pub with that kid now. How that's crazy, crazy is that? Crazy. And if, yeah, anyway, so I did this this assignment a long time ago, but what I can remember is that, so yeah, the silent method, I, I listeners, viewers, I, I basically was trying not to say anything in my lesson. It was like Luke, but silent. Can you imagine that? Is that even possible? Imagine possi- that. Is that even possible? Yeah. Yes, it is. It was, um, I, so I have actually, I have shut my mouth uh, as a teacher before I have, really. So... Um, <laughs> Okay, quiz and ear rods, listeners. Did you get what they are? Mm-hmm. They're that, they're they're these little uh, plastic rods of different colours and sizes, and they're quite useful. They're quite sort of mysterious and quite um, uh, fascinating things. If you take, they mm-hmm. come in a little briefcase usually, or in a little pack, a little uh, box. And if you come into the classroom with a box of quiz and ear rods, you could. It, it, they, they're the perfect accompaniment to the silent approach because it's very visual, and everyone looks at the rods and you can pass the rods around and they do different things. So I don't remember exactly what I did in my lesson plan, but it was essentially this. I came in, I had the Cuisineer rods. I think I opened the box, which is kind of like a, Ooh, kind of moment. Cause then everyone sees all these different rods of different colors and sizes. And they're like, Ooh, what's this? And I wasn't speaking and I wrote some words up on the board and I can't even remember how I did it really. But essentially the, the, the rods represented different parts of speech in a sentence, and I was presenting active and passive uh, forms, and so you've got the subject, you've got the verb and the object, or you've got the agent and the verb and the auxiliary verb and the past mm-hmm. participle, and then the the object if it's if it's there plus the preposition by you know or whatever mm-hmm. you know what I mean and um, mm-hmm. just demonstrating. demonstrating visually how the active and passive forms were done and without really speaking at all except to just to present certain words which they all repeated and then i gave them the rods and they were making the sentences and converting them from active to passive and doing other things like that and i i I was quiet i passed the 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 uh, assignment Mm -hmm. so i must have done it right but
1: so i guess the students would be like moving, swapping the places of some of the rods and so on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very structural, isn't it? Yeah, that is very structural. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, it was interesting. And, but what it did teach me is that you can use silence as a teacher. Silence can be really useful because Mm -hmm. you can, especially when you're eliciting or when you are presenting language, um, you can just say something and then you just shut up for a while and you let them process it. You just sort of let them work mm-hmm. out what's going on and you let them out, take the lead and let them ask you questions and you respond to them. But you don't basically carry them, you don't take them all by the hand and just pull them through a lesson mm-hmm. where you're just like talking and dictating to them. Um, I think when, you know, this this brings us to the subject of teacher talking time.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: What what have we always been told about ttt t, t, oh, t, t,
1: t, t, to a minimum that's what we are told and that's that's good i i like it um and i think it's really important to know as a teacher this is like one of those in the early days of teaching one of the first things that really clicked with me was well you don't have to be speaking all the time it's really so easy just to be speaking and speaking yeah. and speaking you yeah, just want yeah. to speak all the time you and mustn't. otherwise you're not doing your job right yeah but It's not the case. Um, and this sort of idea of, yeah, when the student, when no one's saying anything, that's okay. People are thinking, um, and, and really getting used to that.
0: And when the teacher's not saying anything, that's okay because the students are probably speaking or they're about to speak.
1: Well, they're processing something and that's, that's really valuable. Um, otherwise you're just a behaviorist <laughs> if, you, if you think that everyone has to be speaking all the time yeah
0: and yeah. and and um i mean some people will disagree with that and they'll say but i want to hear my speakers my teacher speak i want to uh, get a model of the language i yeah. want to be able to there listen are time,
1: there are times for that yeah that's okay that happens too
0: yeah maybe i'll use the silent approach in an episode of, of luke's english podcast <laughs> i don't know how that would work you'd need, you'd need a guest <laughs> <laughs> i think so um uh, uh silent way and then there's other ones right i mean can you yeah, think of any other approaches when i'm
1: thinking of the sort of classic uh lin- linear sort of thing that we're doing at the moment um after that it just breaks into clt right communicative,
0: communicative language, language, teaching.
1: language teaching like in the Which, 80s this sort of started evolving
0: that's pretty much the status quo is still now isn't it clt i think what
1: happened because especially no actually basically the time but especially in the 70s it was very um like pure like if you were an advocate of suggestopedia there was no other way of doing it this is the perfect way we finished everything this is it or ditto silent way ditto uh total physical response and the the methods like methody methods um after that from the 80s onwards things have moved away from like methods that are perfect and and the structure of how to do things and turned into sort of approaches and things that we should like improvise around or um, try is, or try yeah. or yeah, or not. Um, and like, uh, the communicative language teaching is still like at the center of English teaching. And I think that's because it's versatile. Like it's, it's like Buddhism. You you can be, you can join another religion if you're a Buddhist and you can, you can take on other elements of other methodologies. If you're into communicative language teaching.
0: What is communicative language teaching then?
1: Well, um, that's a good question. How to define it. It's, it's, I guess it's setting the goal, the goals of the lesson, the goals of your course, or the goals of the stu- the student's goals and what you want them to do is to be able to communicate. And it's really obvious really now if we think about it, but um, they need to be able to like be put in certain situations and being able, be able to deal them through language. Mm-hmm. That's it. And communicative language teaching, this is when we saw lots of like um, scenarios, like uh, you're on the some of it got really like creative. You're you're on you're on a town council board, and uh, a shopping mall and a park both want to be uh, want to take up this new space that's uh, here. Discuss and come to an agreement with your with your colleagues about whether you're going to go for the supermarket. You 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 student C, you are uh, an advocate for the supermarket. You have to make your case. So yeah, all these very elaborate role playing sort of things simulating
0: simulating Mm -hmm. um the uh different acts of communication like negotiation or collaboration Mm or you know arguing uh, disagreeing right giving opinions and all that stuff Mm -hmm. that basically Mm -hmm. language is a tool that we use to communicate and we don't just rule the language we don't just uh, understand the rules of the language in isolation but Mm -hmm. we actually it's more about how to apply language to achieve certain communicative objectives and it's a question of practicing that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) and that's essentially which means uh, teaching English or studying English by using it to communicate. And then, but not just that, there's also, Mm -hmm. it would probably be part of a process, um, typical English lesson where you have like the subject, you have a lead-in where you talk a little bit about the topic, and then you have some input where you listen to a couple of people having a discussion, and then you do the language work where you break down the language, and then you have a task at the end, which is a sort of like a replication of the task they were doing in the listening and then you can use those tools that you learned in the previous steps to actually achieve the communicative uh, act that you need to do in the task right yes. yeah
1: yeah yeah that's it isn't it it's uh, the process is um yeah there's a sort of this is test teach, teach test element in there and there's yeah. the ppp element as well isn't there like yeah um, what was it presentation practice presentation. and
0: production
1: yes yeah. yes um, um and this is all merging into like task-based learning too, when you have like all of this stuff. So you're practicing communicating in certain little micro situations, you're given vocabulary and you're given the tools to do it. And, but at the end, there's like a general task, like a big task that you have to sort of do with people
0: yeah I think yeah. that's it,
1: but the process of it all is is part of part of the setup, isn't it? yeah yeah
0: i mm. I, I mean I like it. I think yeah. this is I think we've uh, arrived at a situation that's quite quite good, and it also means that the lessons are interesting yeah because you end up doing role plays and different tasks and things mm-hmm. yeah
1: and um, there are like it's really adaptable to any any situation I think that's why it's, it's like it's got longevity um it's not dogmatic about uh its own its own like like greatness yeah. <laughs> like some other methods. Although one of my favorite criticism about um CLT, um Michael Swan, um one of the top TEFL in English teaching guys who writes who's been he's written so much about yeah. and he's been around since the seventies, I think.
0: It's pro- I mean, professionally. I think yes, he's thought
1: Oh no, he's bought a bit before then. (laughs) Yeah, but um, yes, and um, his criticism—he had an amusing criticism of communicative language teaching, summarising it by saying, um, uh, "Student A, uh, you work for Radio Rhubarb. Talk about it." And (laughs) it's—it's just like sometimes he was making the point that sometimes it gets really, really elaborate and doesn't relate to the students' lives uh, very much. I mean. If you're you're never going to be on a supermarket committee to take over the old car park, you probably won't need that language. But that's a minor criticism. It's adaptable. You don't have to do that lesson. You could do a lesson more relevant to the students.
0: That's why it's important to identify your your group and to profile your class properly so that you know exactly Mm -hmm. what kind of English they need. That's why you do a needs analysis to work out Mm -hmm. the sort of situations that they will need to be in. So that if you've got a group of lawyers... And then you can do sort of you know uh negotiations and stuff like that but uh uh if if they're working in a shop then you wouldn't do the same tasks yeah um, yeah yeah uh, there's some more there's there's two mm-hmm. more things that I think we can talk about okay. and that's probably we're probably good then because we've been yeah, going no for worries. a while now uh yeah. so so other approaches there's there's the lexical approach mm-hmm. um Lewis, right? Michael Lewis? Michael Lewis, yeah. 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 So talk to us about the lexical approach. I don't know if this is a, is it in the same league as the other methods? Or if this is more about understanding um, the language? It's another way of looking at uh, the way language works, isn't it?
1: Yes, well, I think it's it's like CLT. You can use it to inform your teaching, but it does it doesn't have to be the be all and end all of oh, it. It yes. doesn't have to be everything. Yeah. Um, but it's a really cool way of looking at language. Um, there are a few angles on this, uh, but I guess essentially, Lewis is saying that you 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 don't need to look at like the grammar necessarily, um, or just the grammar. Um, you you can. Really, get a better feel for learn for how a language works and what you need from it by identifying chunks of language right so this is like two, three, five, seven word phrases, something like that um, mm. you know like uh, that's putting it mildly is a, a nice a nice phrase that we use, and that is a more or less a set idiom, but it 's a chunk of language yeah um, uh, on he identifies a, a spectrum. So let's say we've got. Let's that's putting it mildly on one side of the spectrum. A
0: fixed phrase.
1: A fixed phrase yeah. doesn't change like an idiom. Yeah, right there. Mm-hmm. Very lexical. Mm-hmm. Very. So, uh, mm-hmm.
0: so, so, so the point there is that you don't just learn the word "mild" or "mildly" or to right, put some yes. uh, put something, but that's putting it mildly is a fixed phrase that you learn yes. as a chunk. Yeah. So there's yes, that. So you never one, say
1: that's placing it softly. That, yeah. That has yeah. no meaning. It's yeah. not the
0: structure, it's it's that particular chunk. Right, yes, so that's, that's at one end yeah. of the spectrum.
1: The lexical side of the spectrum. And go on to a, a, a sort of more grammatical side of the spectrum. We can have something like, um, uh, I want you to open the window now. Um, so, for example, I want you to open the window. We've got this, like, want someone to do something. But you can replace want, like... Um, I would like you to open the window yeah. I'd like you to open the window.
0: Yeah.
1: I hope the rain, you can't say I hope the rain to stop. That's ridiculous. I've chosen <laughs> I hope. I've chosen a, <laughs>
0: I hope the rain will stop soon.
1: Okay. So yeah. But there you go. That's a different sort of structure. And that's quite an interesting point. There you go. I think that makes the point well, that um, things fall into these sorts of like structures.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, rather than like grammar alone can't tell us, whether we say I plan the rain to stop or I plan, I hope the rain to stop or I hope the rain will stop.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Right? So something's going on here and he calls it uh, lexicogrammar, lexicogrammatical structures.
0: Okay, so if we think about teaching Mm -hmm. present perfect tense, which is like I have whatever we've been talking Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. um, an hour and a half or whatever. That's literally uh, true. Yeah. Quite a long time. So present perfect with a lexical approach, you would end up breaking it down into things like, have you ever? And I have never, and I have just, and I haven't Mm -hmm. yet. And Mm -hmm. I've already done it. And, and just sort of breaking it into those. It's been a long time time since. Yeah. It's been a long time since. And Mm -hmm. what have you been up to? Oh, nothing much. You know, those sorts of things, rather than just trying to understand the rules of the present perfect, it's more that just like is correct, here yes. are just the different ways that we often make present perfect. We often use just, we often use already, and then just sort of in, separate in them.
1: this sort of situation and in this sort of situation. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, or, or alternatively, mm-hmm. looking at um, language and looking at uh, and sort of saying, okay, uh, when you learn a word you don't just learn the word on its own but you learn the other words that often go with it so you don't if you right. learn the word according you obviously learn according to if you learn mm-hmm. the word looking forward you learn to to look forward to and then an yeah. ing form and that's your chunk it's you know i am looking forward to seeing you uh is a chunk and it's like the way we teach used to and to be used to doing mhm oh yeah Okay. right isn't it so the, yes, the, yes. We, we we identify those things as individual chunks of language with different functions rather than uh just understanding the words in isolation and then sort of putting them together
1: yeah yes yes and it's it's very much about what's uh probable rather than just possible um i want that you open the window um some people say but it's less likely then I want you to open the window. Um,
0: so right, so there's... there's grammar there's, can show us... Yeah. Sorry to talk over you, but that, that, no, 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 that no, no. thing about I want you to open the window is the more high-frequency uh, grammar around the word want that this relates mm. to then like yes. uh, data. And that's how we get into corpora and uh, concordance mm. data and stuff where oh God, actually yes. we can actually look at, we can go to these databases of language and we can type in the word want and then we can see what kind of structures emerge from it and uh, yes. want someone to do something is the one that is like 95% of the time is the one that's used. And so there yes. you go. This is the chunk that we learn. I want. I want to do something, or I want someone to do something. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's just like looking at language as it's as it kind of comes in chunks of of vocab. Yes,
1: and this is really really used. And also a, a nice thing about that, I think people respond to that well. Students respond to that well because when they see examples that look natural, they recognize the context that the, the example comes from. They recognize the situation. Like suddenly it tells a story. Um, yeah. You know, I've just woken up. Like <laughs> it tells quite a story. It could mean a lot of things. Yes. Um, and they sort of recognize it rather than having gone through the long back entrance of the grammar structures. Yes. And then arriving at I have just woken up because just is for recent times. And so I've just woken up
0: top down bottom Start up there. top Stop top down, down and up. bottom up so bottom up yeah. is like looking at the individual uh, elements of the sentence and understanding them mm-hmm. and breaking it down on a grammatical level or whatever and top yeah. down is just like yeah, looking yeah. at the bigger picture understanding the the message which is being communicated by this particular uh, chunk of language mm. that's it started the result yeah top
1: top down yeah fantastic
0: um and finally uh, what about dogma dogma this is a, yeah. dogma, dogma i don't <laughs> oh, know how who knows no one yeah. knows how to pronounce it dogma dogma it's an approach to teaching which is sort of actually influenced by the world of cinema right that right yeah dogma mm-hmm. uh filmmaking was an approach to filmmaking that was essentially a very sort of Uh, do it yourself do it on the spur of the moment try to Mm -hmm. use the least amount of technology possible so Mm -hmm. we're not getting big lighting rigs and studios but people are using handheld cameras they're filming on the go they're capturing real moments and just sort of making it up as they go along that's like dogma style filmmaking they have
1: a they have a manifesto don't they 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 say things like you know no special effects no no post-production editing like effects um No script sometimes, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah.
0: Right. But then dogma has worked its way into English language teaching somehow. What is it? What is the dogma approach?
1: Yeah, so this was, um, it started on a forum. So I guess in a way, it's like the first um, internet-based teaching methodology. Um, Lots of teachers sort of talking about teaching and and expressing their frustration with course books. Initially, I think it comes originally from a sort of uh, being annoyed by coursebooks thinking that coursebooks don't relate to the students well enough and teaching the syllabus that the coursebooks give you isn't the best way to get students to learn learn a language i think that's how it all started mm-hmm. um then it led to luke meddings and scott Thornbury's uh sort of seminal work <laughs> and they wrote a book called uh teaching unplugged uh, very cool name isn't it yeah um yeah, it's like, like
0: MTV unplugged, unplugged MTV isn't it? MTV unplugged. Well,
1: this was MTV Times. This is yeah. the nineties. Yeah, um, uh, great book. And so basically, yeah, it's about teaching without any aids. Just going in, and just the student and the teacher, it's two human beings. The teacher has the knowledge and has a lot of knowledge, not just of the language, but also different ways of explaining the language. It isn't just randomly just going in. The teacher has to be, in a way, more prepared than a teacher with a course book. Um, But uh, yeah, using language opportunities that come in the form of like what's happening with the student in their life. Yeah, Um, yeah, basic, on a basic level. So, you know, a student, you know, be chatting at the beginning of a class, Student might say I've been to the student might say I've been to a wedding last weekend and then you can just start chatting about the wedding and then the teacher can use that opportunity to bring in like wedding vocabulary, wedding chunks. Uh, mm-hmm. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Wedding Chunks. Wedding Chunks. Another band, another band name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Wedding Chunks. Barry and the Wedding Chunks. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's terrible. Um, but yeah, like Chunks is <laughs> Chunks of language uh, about weddings. Yeah. And just basically just turn the whole lesson into that.
0: Going with the flow.
1: It's going with the flow.
0: And yeah, Emerging Language. Emer- emer- emergent? Emer- emerging or emergent anyway oh, i say emerging, that,
1: but i think i've heard the other one too yeah language
0: that just comes out of the moment um i think and yeah so yeah that's um are you okay i'm plugging my good. phone in battery about to die my battery's about to uh, die, okay and i'm using uh the internet for uh I'm using da, the internet, da, on, da, my da, phone's da, da, internet is, is powering this call. So is he going to sure. make it
1: in time? Is he going to make it's it in okay. time? It's, and he did it. It's
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. So emerging language, language yeah. comes out of the situation. So it's a kind of like um, you've got to be pretty on your feet as a teacher. You've got to be listening very carefully, trying to understand what it is that the student is trying to say. Yeah. And, and then um, trying to essentially like, give them the words and grammar and phrases that they need to be able to say what they're saying and yes. writing a lot of it on the board and error correction as well, like spotting their errors and yes. putting those on the board and using that as a springboard to then do other things. So, yeah, very sort of freestyle. like Whoa, freestyle. Let's just respond to the student kind mm. of thing.
1: The emerging language thing, I think, is also one more thing, is that it's um, not just what emerges from the context of the lesson, but the thing, as a teacher, you've seen it all the time. The student's trying to, they get to the stage when they're talking and then they're trying to say something, they don't have the language for it. And that is when that language is like, that's when you need to teach them that language, not before yes. or not after. It's yes. like that moment is the perfect moment for it because mm-hmm. they're totally... After it, they want that, and yeah. that finding those moments. That's the for me. That's the heart of dogma. Like um, yes, yeah. Which is great as a teacher. I love they need
0: I love doing that because it's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. trying to trying to you read are. the student's mind it's actually really interesting and um, especially when you get it right when they're like uh, 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 oh, and, so, and you say what you mean is anti-disestablishmentarianism and they're like ah yeah. thank you yeah, anti-disestablishmentarianism is what I wanted to say <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> um, Yes. Okay, look, um, Gabriel, we've got to stop because we're going to go on forever. Uh, We've got to have lunch (laughs) and stuff like that. But it's been interesting. Essentially, what we've done is just kind of gone through a sort of a short history history of Mm. English language teaching methods, a short history. I mean, it's been Mm. quite long, but uh, there's a lot more... detail that's than, the standard history yeah yeah that there yeah. it is the standard history There's
1: all sorts of strange and interesting weird parts uh, of that history elsewhere in the world uh, 19th century as well but that's the story for another day
0: another story for another time mm. and there were other things i wanted to ask you about but those are other stories for another time as well uh, okay Um, Come back uh, again sometime. We'll talk about the other things. Uh, Where where can people find you and stuff and find your work? uh... Uh,
1: Okay, so it's Clark and Miller. Clark like Clark Kent. Uh, Miller like the beer. Um, Clarkandmiller.com. We have a blog. Uh, We've got a podcast, which you can access from the website. Uh, We've been working on the YouTube channel recently, Clark and Miller English something like that Clark Miller English I don't know <laughs> why should I know um, but yeah anything Clark and Miller you, we're the only Clark Millers out there I think um, yes. YouTube YouTube blog uh, website and podcast
0: okay fantastic okay listeners right. okay viewers that's it thank you so much Gabriel thanks
1: so much Luke really thanks so much it's been such a pleasure
0: you too thanks for sharing all of your knowledge and stuff and uh, you know chat soon have a nice day
1: you too cool have a good one
0: so there you go that was a good chat lots of stuff about teaching English and the, the different methods some methods that are that appear to be quite crazy you know like suggestopedia and total physical response but actually when you think about them a lot of those things they they may sound crazy and wacky and bonkers and all that stuff but i do think that they have some value as well i was thinking of total physical response which i suppose to an extent basically means Making sure that the learners are not just learning language sort of in isolation, that, that language is a physical thing. And I do that actually quite a lot. I've realized when I'm doing again, when I'm doing pronunciation, or, or at least when practicing language in a controlled way, I always encourage my students to use, you know to think about their facial expressions and to think about their body language and the way that they um, are physically expressing language too. You know, anyway, it's just very interesting to consider the all the different ways in which um, language is used. And it's not just words on paper, but that it's about the expression of your personality. And it's sort of in your body and in, in the air. Anyway, it's a bit complicated. So anyway, I, found, I hope you found it interesting. Uh, of course, some of you listening to this, you knew all about this stuff already. Especially if you've sort of gone through various bits of uh, training as as a teacher, or if you've done a degree in applied linguistics or something like that. But for many of you, this might be the first time that you'd heard of some of those methods. So I'm curious to know what you think. What do you think about the way in which we teach you English? Um, And what do you think about the different methods that were mentioned? What are your experiences as a learner? Have you spent time in the classroom uh, learning English? And what, what did you think? Did you Were there times that you didn't really understand why the teacher was doing something? Like, why, why does the teacher insist on doing it this way? It's so annoying or so weird or so interesting. I don't know. Let us know your experiences in the comments section. Um, but there you go. Let's have a little ramble now at the end. How are you doing, listeners? Are you doing okay? So uh, I am tired. I'm really tired. Uh, why? Why am I tired? Well, I've I just had a holiday. That doesn't make sense. I know that doesn't make sense. Because after a holiday, you're supposed to be all, you know, refreshed and full of energy and stuff. But no, I'm just knackered because, um, well, the holiday was great and stuff like that. But then traveling, you know, you spend time relaxing on holiday, maybe spending time at the beach or if it's a city break, you know, enjoying exploring a new city and, and getting to know the place and it's very invigorating and it's restful and you, you get sunshine and get the suntan. But then you have to travel home and often the journey, it takes the best part of a day and it can be an exhausting and frustrating experience, traveling, waiting in airports, delayed planes, you know, trying to find your luggage on the luggage carousel, the baggage reclaim you know, trying to, you know, is that our bag? No, that's not. Oh no, our bag's blue. No, it's not. It's black. Oh, uh, that's, that's it. No, ours has got different wheels and just waiting and then having to get a taxi and just, it takes such a long time that by the time you get home, you're just like, Oh God, I need, I need another holiday now. It's true, isn't it? Sometimes you need a holiday to recover from the holiday. So yeah, um, my wife and I and our daughter, we spent a week in portugal lovely lovely portugal it was the first time i'd been there uh, before going to portugal though uh, i went to england with my daughter my wife stayed at home she had lots of work to do but uh, my daughter and i went to england for a week and stayed with my parents so that was good but there was you know obviously loads of trains and and uh, taxis and so on as well but um, a week in in england And uh, I did manage to record one episode while I was there. It was with my brother James. And that's something you can discover when it arrives. Um, And then so after a week in England, it was off to Portugal very early in the morning, uh, about a week ago. And then we came back very late last night and none of us had enough sleep. So we're all a bit frazzled and a bit exhausted today. But it was a lovely holiday. Portugal is a fantastic place. i would never been there before. Lovely, lovely, friendly people. Um, Really friendly people. We spent um, half the time in Lisbon exploring, going up and down the hills, looking at castles, and things like that. It was really nice. And then the rest of the time we spent at a hotel on the beach, basically. So about four days at the beach, four days at the beach, sort of near the swimming pool stuff, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Very good. It was lovely. Somehow I've managed to pick up a cold though. Can you hear it in my voice? I don't know if you can hear it. I've got a slightly blocked nose, maybe a slightly irritated throat. I'm fine. I've just got a bit of a cold. How, but I don't know how I managed to pick up a cold. I, I picked it up on the last day. Um, we spent that day on the beach in lovely sunny weather, messing around on the beach. But I don't know. How, how do you catch a cold on the beach? I don't know. I don't know how I managed to do that. It wasn't even cold. I know you're thinking, oh, maybe you were outdoors and it was windy or something. It might have been a bit chilly. It wasn't. It was lovely, warm weather. If anything, it was too hot for me maybe I caught a hot. Maybe that's the thing that happened. But of course, nobody ever says that today. No one ever says, oh, how are you doing? Oh, oh, you know, I've I've got a bit of a hot." Like, sorry, a what? No one ever says that. That's completely ridiculous. But maybe that's what happened to me somehow. Instead of catching a cold, I caught a hot. Uh, But it's totally stupid. So yes, don't say that. (laughs) No one ever says that. Anyway, It's nice to be back in my podcastle, in my pod room. And um, that's enough rambling. I've got lots of work to do. You probably do as well. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As I mentioned before, let me know your thoughts in the comments section. And if you're in the Paris area, don't forget to come to the teacher talk I'm doing, uh, where I'll be, you know, doing that storytelling stuff and trying to make my audience laugh. Uh, It should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I actually really enjoy telling this story. This story of misery and confusion. It's actually quite a funny story because everything worked out fine in the end. It sounds like it was dramatic and scary, but it was fine in the end. So you know it's one of those situations where during the while you're experiencing it, it's horrible, but then you could just enjoy laughing about it later, which is what is good about. Bad experiences. You know, if you have a bad experience and you live through it, of course, obviously, if you don't die, if you survive it and you turn out, you come out the other side basically fine, um, then it's always, at least you have a story at the end. That's the thing. You know, that's always worth remembering. If you're having a bad time, uh, for example, if you're having a nightmare traveling experience where you miss a flight or something happens. Your plane crashes and you, you, you have to, you get stuck in the mountains with all the other passengers and it becomes a desperate survival situation. And only some of you emerge alive. Um, at least you've got a story at the end of it. Okay, I'm being glib and flippant now. Uh, but anyway, join us for, this, for the evening, the storytelling evening. 19th of May, 7pm, Paris, the Anvalides Centre in Paris. Go to britishcouncil.fr and then click Evenement and then find my talk. It's the one called Le Shock Culturel, Culture Shock. And uh, you can book your seat. It's completely free. Okay, so see you there, I hope. Um, But that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I will speak to you again very soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash info